Hello and welcome to the Harvest Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We are honored that you would click on this and listen to God's Word preached by one of our elders. At the same time, we strongly affirm the biblical mandate for Christians to be a faithfully active and in-person part of their local church. This sermon cannot and will not replace what a local church can provide to the life of a Christian. That being said, we hope that this sermon challenges and encourages you in your faith and that it builds upon the faithful ministry of your local church. We hope that you enjoy. God bless. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. And I want to ask you simple questions as we begin. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Son of God? In your heart of hearts, do you love Christ? Do you love worshiping Him? Do you love Him? Do you truly, in the depths of your soul, do you love Christ? Um, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Peter says, You love Him whom you have never seen. Um, you, you have faith in Him whom you've never seen, and you're, you have joy. Your faith is full of joy inexpressible. Isn't that the hardest thing about the Christian life? It, is that we believe in someone we've never seen? That we are called to love and adore one we've never laid eyes on. Isn't that difficult? I think of Genesis 24 when Abraham told his servant Eleazar to go to his homeland and find a wife for his daughter, for his son Isaac. And Eleazar goes, and you remember, he, he finds one at the well, just like he was waiting for. He said, may a woman say, you know, uh, who's there? Hey, can I give you some water and your donkeys, or, or who, whoever's with you? And uh, that's exactly what Rebecca is at the well says. And they go home, they, can we go to your house? And he tells us, uh, Rebecca's parents, hey, listen, uh, my master at home has a son, and uh, Rebecca's the woman for him, and, and here's money, here's gold, here's silver. Um, can she come with us? And they say yes. And you remember, they're like, but wait, wait a few days. And like, no, we got to go now before you change your mind. <laughs> but I just imagine, imagine being Rebecca. And here you have this servant of a wealthy man, apparently, who you're going to meet his son to marry him, but you've never seen him. Can you imagine that ride back? To Abraham and Isaac. Can you imagine? What, what, wouldn't she have said, hey, what's he look like? <laughs> Is he handsome? <laughs> what's he look like? Um, what, what's his personality like? I mean, what, what's he like? You know, and I, what would Eliezer do along the way? How would he answer those questions? I, I just imagine as he gave that, that, that golden stuff, as he gave that to Rebecca's parents, then I imagine he would have he said, if I could use my imagination, hey, Isaac wants you to have this necklace. Hey, Isaac wants to have, give you this gold, this silver on that journey. Uh, and I just pray that this morning, maybe that this sermon might be something that the Holy Spirit, uh, as a servant of God, may be able to say, Here, here's, a, here's the word of God to you this morning. Here's what Christ is like. And we know what he's like from his word. And so I pray this morning his word will just reveal a little bit more of what Christ is like to you today. And, and I pray that even at the end of this, that your heart may say, what I would really love this new year is to know Christ more, to love it. And maybe if we're honest, the reason some of us, maybe we don't love him. And none of us love him perfectly like we want to or like we should. But if we were honest, maybe why we don't know is because we don't know enough about him. It's, it's hard to love that which you don't know. Um, so, so maybe we would commit to wanting to know, being filled with the knowledge of who Christ is this year. Um, maybe the reason some of us don't know him is because we have sin in our life. Um, in John, we read at the end of John 3, the reason people don't come to Christ, the reason people don't come to the light, is because their deeds are evil. Even as Christians, we can hold deeds in our life and, and works in our life that are evil, and we can have sin in our life, and, and that can keep us from loving Christ because we're holding on. It can it not break our relationship with the Lord, but our, 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 not break our unity with the Lord, but our fellowship with the Lord can be broken so many times because of our, our bitterness, our, our own sin. You, whatever sin it is you struggle with, it, it, can, it can hinder that fellowship with the Lord. And I pray He would reveal that to you this morning. 
but the Father loves the Son. In verse 20, as we pick it up, uh, how is it shown here that the Father loves the Son? He shows him all that he himself is doing. The Father shows Jesus everything he is doing. And in John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus says, I obey my Father perfectly so the world may know that I love him. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why Christmas? Why did Jesus live a perfect life? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus come back from the grave? Primarily, can I tell you, it's not primarily because he loves me and you. It's not primarily. It's not primarily to forgive us of our sins. It's not primarily to redeem us. It is primarily because he loves the Father. The primary reason Christmas happened, the primary reason the cross happened and the resurrection, primarily the reason that Jesus obeys the Father is so the world would know that He loves the Father. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. Do you know that's when the whole world was created? So that the world would be able to see that and worship that? Worship the Father and experience the love between the Father and Son that we may receive the love of God and in return we would love and worship Him. Um, you know, why did God create the world? Why did God create us? Is it because He needed us? Was it because He needed us to worship Him? No. God, is, God doesn't need us. He, he, God doesn't dwell in temples made by man as, as if though he needs anything, Paul would say in Acts 17. No, we are created in the image of God so we may reflect his image and glorify him. And, and here we see at the beginning, if you remember last week in verse 17, remember this whole thing started because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. He healed a man on the Sabbath who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And they, the Jewish people, want to argue with him. And we seen last time in, from Pastor Kersey's sermon, it wasn't that it was just like 20 people arguing. There's thousands of people upset at Jesus now because he makes a huge scene. And it wasn't like, you know, it's just 10 people upset within this little corner. There's a feast going on. And he tells the man he healed to go through the sheep gate, <laughs> to go in front of the hundreds of thousands of people and see him breaking their traditional Sabbath laws. Jesus wants a controversy so Jesus can preach to the people who he is. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get in this controversy verse and say, all right, let's calm down, everybody. Let's all, let's have a little peace circle. <laughs> let's go back to like the Indians used to solve problems and all. That's how we're sold, uh, solved stuff at school. Get in a little circle and everybody gets to say their peace and then let's all reconcile. That's not what Jesus does. None of that therapy kind of stuff. Jesus elevates the controversy. Jesus starts the controversy and then he elevates it so he can preach on who he is. That's what's going on in this text. And he says to them, my father is working to now, and I am working. And went back to the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and decided instead of worshiping God, we we'll, would rather be God ourselves, Worship ourselves, do things we... Sin came in the world, rebellion came in the world, God cursed the world. And what has God been doing ever since then? He has been working. He, and that's what Jesus is saying. God's been working on the Sabbath. He's been working ever since the first Sabbath to restore and bring redemption back. And Jesus is saying, I've been working too. And here's what, what has God been doing since then? Why is it so important that we fight the popular Christian message in our day that we need to unhinge or we need to get away from the Old Testament? You, you know, that's a kind of a new apologetic move. There's all this stuff in the Old Testament that's ancient and bad, so... Let's, let's, let's just say, as Christians, we just hold to the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. What's to, well, well, we don't have enough time to talk about what's wrong with that. But one thing that's wrong with it, the Old Testament is God's working in human history, and it's all that working was to point to Jesus. Without the Old Testament, we don't understand who Jesus is. Uh, when Jesus said, when, in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, you remember how his mama came up to him, Mary came up and said, Jesus, they, they run out of wine. And he said, woman, woman, my time's not yet. And one of the reasons he called her woman is because he's saying, Mary, you're the woman in Genesis 3. When God cursed the world, he said, through woman, a seed would come through her that would crush the serpent's head, even though it would bruise his heel. He's saying, I'm that seed, and you're that woman, Mary. You're the woman, I'm the seed. That's how we understand who Jesus is. In, in John chapter 1, there's Jacob's ladder. And he, he talks about the vision of Jacob. And Jesus says, you'll see greater things than these. Jacob was Israel. The true Israelite is Jesus. 
the true, the one who truly obeys the Father, like the Jewish nation was called to do, but yet didn't, is is Jesus. Um, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament point to who? To Jesus. All those sacrifices and all those days of atonements and all those sacrifices. Hebrew says not one of those animals could ever forgive, could ever be an atonement for any sin. But they all pointed to Jesus, who John the Baptist looks at him and goes, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Passover Lamb. There's the one where atonement can be found. Uh, here on the Sabbath day, Jesus is saying, we know that the only way you can find rest the only way you can truly have Sabbath rest is through Him. What would Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, I'll give you rest. He's the only way you can find it. See, all the Old Testament pointed that there should be a rest, that there is a sacrifice, that there, all the law, all of that pointed to someone. And that is Christ. And that's what God was doing up until this point, was pointing to His Son. And now He was doing it. And like I said, the Father loves the Son. Jesus would say in John, your salvation, the reason you got saved, the reason if you're a Christian this morning, is primarily so that you could be a present from the Father to the Son. Jesus said in John 6, 37, all that the Father has given me will come to me. You were given to the Son from the Father if you're a Christian this morning. Okay? You were given to the Son from the Father. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, I thought Pastor Alex might get to it this morning, uh, but we didn't get that far, maybe in the future. Uh, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, And then the end shall come, and when the Son shall give the kingdom of God to the Father. One day, Jesus is going to give that which the Father gave him back to him. As a gift back to the Father. Why were you saved? Why are you redeemed? Primarily because of the love between the Father and the Son. That's the reason of creation. That's the reason of redemption. And so that is the primary purpose of this world. And then we have to say, we should then. And I love what Pastor Nate said. Why are we loved? Because we are in Christ. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's the gospel. That's why the Father loves us. Because we are in Him. So we must continue. Uh, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And He looks at this crowd, this, uh, like we said last time, this is no Sunday school get-together. What a sweet spirit we had in fellowship this morning during Sunday school and breakfast. And what a great time it was, me and we were talking. What a wonderful time as a church it was. But <laughs> that's not who Jesus is around right now. <laughs> Jesus is around thousands who want to persecute Him. And we saw in verse 18, they want to kill Him. And He looks at them and he says, oh, you, you thought it was something that I healed the guy who was paralyzed and you're mad because he's carrying his mat? You thought that was something. Greater works than these will he show, and greater works than these will he show him so that you might marvel. It, it's, it's not that so much that Jesus is going to do greater work so that he can get some kind of applause from people who don't like him or he's some kind of petty magician who's trying to drum up some business. No, 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 no. He's saying you're going to see much greater than just the man paralyzed. What's he going to see in John chapter 11? Lazarus. Who is, uh, Lazarus becomes a real problem for the Jewish leaders, doesn't he? Because he is dead. He's dead for four days. And Jesus gets there. Mary Martha said, oh, Jesus, if you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. He said, oh, for the glory of God, he died. And Jesus goes, you remember, he goes to the tomb. Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out of the grave. And imagine, now you talk about a problem for the Jewish leaders here who are trying to kill, try and tell everybody this is a false teacher. Well, you got a guy over here who was dead for four days. How do you argue with that? Right? He, he's going to do greater, but even greater than that. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have authority in verse 17 to take my own life. And I'm also going to, I have the authority to bring it back. I'm going to lay my life down, but I'm also going to bring it back. Jesus said, you thought it was something for me to raise somebody from the dead? I'm going to raise myself from the dead. That is greater works. You're going to see. And, it, we need, and that, that's something right there. But at the end of this passage, Jesus is saying something else. I, I hate to jump ahead, but Jesus is going to say, here's something even greater. I'm going to raise not just Lazarus. I'm going to raise every human being that's ever been born. Get that. Every, every human being, Christian, non-Christian, he's going to say here in just a minute, will have resurrection. 
they will be given an eternal body. Every single one of them. Jesus says, I'm going to raise them. Steven Spielberg got nothing on that. Like, he ain't got nothing on that. Every person ever died. Jesus says, greater things you're going to see. And he's going to declare them. So um, that's where we're going. And in verse 21, for as <laughs> that you're going to marvel. I can, can you imagine, put yourself in this Jewish context. They're speaking to a Galilean carpenter who's 30 years old. Okay? And this Galilean carpenter, for the last minute, has just been telling you how he's God. He's not a competing God. He is God. He is uh, he is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And the Father loves the Son, shows him everything. He does what the Father does. The Father's working him now. And now, verse 20, he says this. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life. They knew that. They knew Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. They knew that in Genesis, God, uh, his, his breath, he breathed into the dust. And he, that dust became a living soul that only God could give life. And Jesus says, I give life too. What? Only God gives life? Galilean carpenter? What are you talking about? Yes. So also the Son gives life to whom He will. Not only do I give life, I give it to whoever I want to. What? Verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. Not that there is no judgment. Isn't that what our culture wants, for there to be no judgment? Isn't that what the, the heartbeat of the culture is? Uh, what's the number one Bible verse today? It's not John 3, 16. It's Matthew 7. You shall not judge. He's talking about something, I'll take something out of context. Just keep reading. It's actually about, yes, you should judge. It's just how you should judge. <laughs> just keep reading more than the first three words, and you, you could get it. But this isn't saying there won't be judgment and there isn't judgment. This is saying the Son, Jesus before these people saying, all judgment's given to me. I can imagine those Jewish sitting there and they're thinking, what's he going to say next? That we should worship him? Well, yeah, actually, look at verse 23. <laughs> Why? Why is all this true? They have life and judgment so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Oh, it, it's stone-throwing time. I mean, it's over. He, you heard the blasphemy, they would have said. You, did you hear what he did? What does honor mean? Honor means to give the heaviest weight to something. It means to worship. Um, I mean, these people just got out of exile a couple hundred years ago. They've seen idolatry. They fought. They went to war with the Romans over idolatry and the Greeks over idolatry. They, they know the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall worship no other gods. They, they understand that. They know that. They had a law in their Mishnah. You cannot even say or write the name Yahweh. Least you might take it in vain. We don't write it and we don't say it. That's how serious the Jewish people were about worshiping the one true God. We're not, going, we're not even going to give it a chance to take his name in vain. Because you're not going to say it, and we're not going to write it. That's pretty intense, isn't it? And now this Galilean carpenter stands up and says, Yeah, you know how you, you, you take your worship to the Father so serious? If you don't worship me, you really can't worship him. If you don't honor me, you really can't honor him. What? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And... And that's the whole point of John's gospel, is that this is God. Jesus is God in the highlight of this. I think the highest peak in John's gospel is Matthew, is John chapter 20. When at the resurrection, you remember the account? Jesus appears the first time on the first Sabbath after the resurrection to his disciples. And he appears in the room to them. And they look at him. But there's one person missing. Thomas. So he appears the next Sabbath day. Thomas is there. He said, Thomas, you've been unbelieving. Look at me. Look at my hands. Look where the nails were. Look at my side, where it was pierced by the Spirit. Here I am before you. And what does Thomas do? Thomas bows down. In verse 28, he goes, my Savior and my God. He calls him God. He calls him God. That's who Jesus is. And in Revelations chapter 4 and chapter 5, I think is another highlight. You, you, you know Revelation, hopefully. In, if not, you should take it and it's good homework to read it. Or Yeah, you should read it. Uh, you should read it. It's good. You should, you should read all the Bible. But that's a good one too. In, in Revelations chapter 4, God 
is you get a picture of the throne room of heaven and God is being worshipped by the 24 elders. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All honor and glory and power be to Him. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's people saying, who can unleash the scroll that's at the Father's right hand? And the scroll is that of judgment. Because this world's in sin and rebellion, all of heaven knows justice must be served. Wrath must come for things to be made right. But who's going to bring this judgment? Who can do it? Begin to weep because no one's found worthy. John begins to weep and the angel says, Whoa, calm down, John. There is one who's worthy. Look. And he looks and he sees one that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. There he is. They see him, but that's what he hears. And then he looks and he sees a lamb that is slain. And then all of heaven is saying to this one that is slain, just like they said to the Father, Holy, 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 all honor and glory and power be to the Lamb. Wait a minute. All the honor and glory just went to the Father. That's God. But it also goes to the Lamb. What's the Bible saying? Here, the Bible ends Judaism right here. Jude, from, from the revelation of Christ here, Jesus puts it in. There, if there's an idea of somebody out there believes, you know, well, you can, there, if you're born Jewish and you follow Judaism and you, you can kind of reject Jesus and all that, but as long as you follow the Old Testament, you're in with God. Nope. No. What did Jesus just say? If you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. Judaism is, is by itself a false religion because it points to Jesus. And you want to know if someone is a Christian or not, do they honor and worship the Son? Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Um, the, we're going to get down to verse 29 this morning, and I think all of verse 24 is, is broken down uh, in these other verses. So we're not going to take much time, any at all, here in verse 24 because we're going to keep referring back to it because verses 25 through 29, Jesus as the master teacher to this um, crowd, of this mob that wants to kill him, he exegetes this statement that he just given, this truly, truly, this amen, amen, I say to you, pay attention. He breaks it down, verse 25, so let's go there. Truly, truly, here we have again, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So Jesus, remember up above, he said, I have life. I give life. Well, how does he give life? Well, he gives life. In verse 25, to start with, uh, there's an hour coming when there will be life. And there is an hour that is now where there will be life. He gives life now, and he gives in the hour that's coming. You see it there? Well, how does he give life now? Well, it, there is a or very real sense, and as we're going to see here in the text, in, back in verse 24, those who hear his voice and believe in him sent has eternal life. Not will have eternal life, but they have eternal life. There's a, Christians today, the, who the Son gives life, has life right here and right now. And, and just as, it's amazing, just as the Father was working and the Son is working, as Jesus points to the Sabbath, to redeem the world, to bring the world, bring us to the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is coming in a sense and he goes, you see me healing this guy on the Sabbath? You see me raising the dead? Friend, that, that's a sign of what the new heaven and new earth is like. I'm coming to bring that to fruition. And, and the doctrine of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is here now. And it's also coming. It is here now and is a church. We are the kingdom of God. Right here, right now. If someone wants to hear what God has to say, they need to go to a true church and hear the word preached. It's God's word. We're an outpost of heaven this morning, Harvest Baptist Church. That is us. We speak, if we speak rightly on the word of God, we speak for heaven. We are ambassadors of Christ. This is not our home. 
Our home is a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, we're here as his people. We stand as a, a not, yes, we are a nation as America under God. And thank God we ought to be proud Americans. We have a lot to be proud for. But more than that, we are citizens of heaven. And we must stand and speak truth to this world of ours, this nation of ours. We must look at the Republicans and say, you're right on this and you're wrong on this. We must look at the Democrats and say, you're right on this and you're wrong on this. Because we speak for God. We align with Him. We are His messengers. We have been given what? We've been given a message of reconciliation. We, we are sent by God to fulfill what He has called us to do here on this earth, which is this message primarily of reconciliation and to bring those who are far away that they may hear the gospel and come in. We are the kingdom of God. So how is it there is a, a here, there is a is now here, Jesus is saying. And as the church is, we are, now how does this happen? How does this come about? Well, it says, Jesus said, is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God and live. You know, we, we usually quote when we talk about people who are outside of Christ are dead in their sins and their trespasses. We say that, I usually quote Ephesians 2. It's the easiest place to go. Me personally, and when I get to share the gospel, Ephesians 2 for me is just the easiest place to go. It just usually is because it's so laid out. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1, people are dead in their sins. and They're children of wrath. They're dead. But Paul wasn't the first one to say that. Jesus is the first one to say that. What did Jesus say in Matthew 8, 22, when he says, hey, you come follow me? And he go, oh, we got so-and-so to go bury. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. What is he saying about people who aren't his people? They are dead. What does it mean? What do you mean dead? Well, dead is, it means the ability to respond. Uh, if we were to go out there and open some graves across the road, which I think that's highly illegal, isn't it? But it might be a fun experiment. Uh, if we were to go open some graves across the road and we start poking some corpse, what's the corpse going to do? Nothing. Nothing. They're dead. They can't respond. And people in their sins, you know why they don't go to church? You know why they, they, they're not Christians? Because they don't want to be. They hate God. They hate God. And the wrath of God is upon them because of that. They are dead in their sins and in their trespasses. And dead is, is also, they are decaying. Uh, I know doctors and, and nurses, you're in the medical field, you know this very well, don't you? Um, if If... If, there, if people don't fix emotional issues, right, psychological issues, that affects the physical body, doesn't it, right? Depression, right? It has a physical effect on people, doesn't it? It, it decay. Um, um, pride, keep honing pride, it, it'll have a physical effect. Guilt, worry, all of those things have negative effects on the body. It makes the body decay. Friend, that is the state of people without Christ. They are dead in their sins and their trespasses, and they are decaying. They are dead, and they are dying. They are dying apart from the Lord. Because the Lord is life. Life is only found in God. And the further they get away, the more they decay, and the more their deadness is seen. They are dead. And the parable of the lost son. Do you remember what Jesus said when the son comes home? The prodigal son, he goes, throw a feast for my son who was lost is found, who was dead is now alive. So dead people, how does this happen? What happens to these dead people? Well, these dead people, they hear the voice of the son of God. John 10, Jesus would say this, My sheep hear my voice. They know me. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is sharp and powerful. I love Jesus. You just can't get over John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And nothing was created that was created except through him. We read in Colossians 1, everything was created through him. How In Genesis 1, how did God create the world? He spoke it into existence, didn't he? He said, let there be light. Let there be plant, let there be, let there be. He spoke it. Well, what word? Who, what was doing that? The word. 
Jesus, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. You see? There's the power. How do dead people come to life here and now? They hear the Word of God. They hear the Gospel. Romans 10, faith comes through hearing. And hearing by... Wine harvest is our mission statement, not just something catchy. Why is it something we really want to be about? To preach and teach and practice the Word of God. Why is that? Because that's where, that's where life is. That's where life comes from. We could do a hundred other things. The churches do do a hundred thousand other things. But the one thing we want to do is preach and teach and obey the Word of God. Why? Is that just because we, we just want to... We're simpletons? Well, yeah, kind of. We're not creative? Yeah, kind of. But, but no, primarily because that's where the power is. That's where the life is. That's where the resurrection is. That's how, that's how people get saved. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word. How do Christians grow? John 17, Jesus prayed, Sanctify them, Father. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. How do Christians grow? By the Word of God. How do people get saved? By the Word of God. Power in the word. How do dead people come to life? They hear the voice. And he's not just saying here, because there's plenty of people who hear the gospel, but do not become Christian. That's not what he's getting at here. Uh, Because dead people, if they just hear the word, that that doesn't do anything. Because they're dead, they can't respond. This this hearing that he is talking about here is a hearing that's an effectual call. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Because when the word comes to them, it comes to their heart. And they have life. It comes and it, it hits them. And you see, that's your testimony. If you're a Christian this morning, if you, if, if you share your testimony, it's something like, you know, I just had this feeling one day. You know, I was just going down the road and I was just thinking. That may be true. That may be how it kind of happened. But let me tell you what was behind the scene, Christian. If you love Christ, if you, if you uh, claim by faith that he died for you and he rose again, you believe that God, if that's true, let me tell you what happened. One, the son wanted to give you life. He gives life to whom he chooses to give it to. So if you have life this morning, uh, up in uh, verse 21, it's because he wanted to give it to you. That's, that's how it started. Okay? That's how it started. He wanted to give you life. And two... The Word of God came to your heart, your dead, cold heart, and it changed it. You must be born again. And that new birth happened, and you were given life, okay? You were given life, and then you believed. Okay? Because it is not void of belief. What did Jesus say? Truly, truly, verse 24, all who hear my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life. You did believe. But friend, what happened way before you believed? He wanted to give you life. You were dead. You heard the word of God. He gave you life, and then you believed. That's your testimony. That's my testimony this morning. That's how it happens. That's how us here and now, dead people, come to life. We hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear it, those who really hear it, they live. Those who really hear it. Those who He calls. As the Father has life in Himself... He is also granted that the Son also to have life in Himself. Now, this, um, this life here, or um, it, the whole verse 26, I think the point of verse 26, I have wrestled with verse 26 for hours this week. I mean, I've just mulled over it and I've not gotten far. So you get it and you come back and tell me because I've been struggling with it. <clears throat> but here's what I've got so far as after wrestling with verse 26. The thrust of verse 26 is Jesus doesn't want you to think. Well, I give eternal life. I give life. I don't want you to think that the life I give you is the life that I get from the Father. I don't want you to think that the Father has life and He's the source of life and that I'm like a stream off of that source and I give you some of that water. I don't want you to think that because that's not true. I have life in myself. I am God. Um, life comes back to me. I am the one. Uh, let me show you. Go, go to chapter 1, verse 4. Go to chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In himself is life. Chapter 3, verse 15. That whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God, 
so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John's gospel is about life. And don't you see it? What you think's wrong with... Uh, Pastor Alex was talking about the social gospel this morning. What you think's wrong with the world is what you think the medicine, the remedy is, right? Right, right, right. I mean, what you think's wrong with your kids is what you try to go get to help them, right? I, I don't know anything, but I'll be getting weird stuff for the boys because I don't know what's wrong with them most of the time. You know, just like weird. But what you think's wrong with somebody is what you think is, is determined on the remedy, right? Um, so it, the social gospel says that people just need a better life here. Well, if you think the primary thing wrong with people is their life here, well, then you, you want to make it better here. If you think that's the primary problem. If you think social ills is the problem. If you think poverty is the biggest problem, then you'll do all you can to help get people out of poverty, right? Um, if you think uh, hunger is the biggest problem, biggest thing you'll try to do is feed people. But if you, like the Bible, think the biggest problem people have is that they are dead, the only thing that will give them life is the Word of God, is to hear the Word of God, right? So it, the, what you think will help people depends on what you think is wrong with them. And so the Bible says what you need is life. So that, in a way, condemns you saying people are dead. Chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 39. 539. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying eternal life is in me. It's not, it's not it's in the scripture. It's me that the scripture is about. Chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 68 of chapter 6. Simeon Peter answered him, Lord, where shall we go? You have words of eternal life. You see how Christianity is different than all other religions in the world. Muhammad comes and he gives a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, Buddha comes and he gives all the ethics. Jesus comes and John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I come that you may have life. I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. How do you... I have a hard time explaining that lie. I just wish I could tell my non-Christian self, quit rejecting the gospel because there's life in it. And I didn't know how to tell my non-Christian self that. I didn't, I didn't think there was life there. That's the hardest thing to persuade a, a non-Christian of, that other than to show them your life, is that there is life in Christ. And you're in death. You're decaying. There's life in His name. So back to John chapter 5. <coughs> there's life. And there's here life now. And this life is in the Son for all that the Father has, in verse back to 26 that we're, I was struggling with, for as the Father has life in himself, which is true, and he has granted the Son to have life in himself. It's that part. So he granted to the, what all has he granted to the Son in this passage? Verse 22, he has granted judgment to the Son. He has given him judgment. Uh, in the next verse, verse 27, he has given him authority to execute. So he's granted to the Son. I, almost, I, said this, I just want to say this again. There's a false doctrine out there. This is why we read this morning our statement on the Trinity of the one true God. There's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a false doctrine of God out there in Mormonism, in um, um, Jehovah's Witness, uh, in Oneness Pentecostals, um, and, and it's, it's the sense that um, it's the old Sibelian heresy, the Arian heresy, that um, there's one God and there's one person, that sometimes the Father becomes the Son, and the Son becomes it, it more. The God, sometimes He shows Himself as the Son, sometimes He shows Himself. Uh, it's almost like the, um, what was that weird book about the cabin? The shack. The shack. Thank you. That was close. Thank you, Nate. That's why I got you here. The, uh, the sh about, you know, God is a, a woman, shows up as a woman. In the chat, you know, that was a whole weird, no, no, there's one God, and he's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? The Father doesn't become the Son, the Son doesn't become, and here's, here's the point, the Father here grants things to the Son, 
their distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are one. They all have life in themselves. They all have the same nature. Um, they are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All are one God. We, were, we are monotheist. Jesus here is saying, I'm not, compete, I'm not a different God. I'm not competing with Yahweh. Me and Yahweh are one. But we are distinct in person because the Father has given this to the Son. He gives him judgment. He gives him the right to have life in himself. So there is this distinction of person that we see here in these verses. Verse 27. So really, there's really only two points of the sermon. There is the life that the Son gives and the judgment that the Son gives. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. You see that, what I was saying earlier? All who are in the tombs, all who are dead will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the one, the will of him who sent me. Jesus here is telling these people that he is the judge. He is the judge. You see, one day Jesus is standing before these people, and these people are judge, judging Jesus, but Jesus is saying that the, truly the, the role is reversed. I'm the judge, and I'm the one that will judge you on the last day. You see, Moses, Jesus won't stand before Moses who God gave the law to. Moses will stand before Jesus. You see, Jesus stood before Pilate, but one day Pilate, Jesus won't stand before Pilate again. It'll be Pilate who stands before Jesus. John 17 says, God has fixed a day, and he's proven it by resurrecting him from the grave, that one day he will judge the living and the dead. Jesus Christ is the judge of all the world. He's saying, all judgment has been given to the Son. What's he say? He says he is because he's the Son of Man. We've talked about this over and over. Son of Man is allusion to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, um, God, uh, there is the Ancient of Days, God, and there is one who comes and he gives dominion and who receives worship, and he is the Son of Man in Daniel 7. Jesus is saying, I am that Son of Man. But he's saying in a real sense here, there's another sense in the Old Testament where some of the prophets are called the Son of Man, Ezekiel and others who are called the Son of Man. He's one amongst the people. See how, why is Jesus the perfect judge of the world? Well, he's the per one because he's God. Last week we were talking about how he, through the Gospel of John, he knows all things. His judgment will be perfect because he knows all things. And he's, he's perfect because he's man. He understands every human plight, he's been through the worst. He understands every human plight, every temptation. He's tempted like we were in every manner. He walked in he, this life. He knows, he understands, and he knows all things. He'd hit, therefore, his judgment is just. As you get older, I know you do this. You start to take a list in your mind, don't you, of things that should be made right that's not right here and now. You make a list of people who are not good people who seem to be succeeding in life, don't you? And you think, you know what, they... They ought to get what's coming to them. How come they're succeeding when they're this and this kind of person? You, you got that list, don't you? But you also keep lists the other way. I know so-and-so who's a good person, and man, they're such good people. And oh, they just keep getting it. I mean, it just keeps getting, they just keep getting toppled over and over again. Some, that, you, you got a list, don't you? If you were God, you'd make all those right. You know, and there's this, uh, there's this evolutionary idea I think some Christians hold, and, and some people that, you know, karma comes around, goes around. You know, one day it'll just all work out. That's not Christianity. Christianity is saying, one day, the curtain's over. One day, the door's shut, and the judge is coming. And he is going to settle all accounts. And he knows. He knows. His judgment is just. You know, is that why? He, he loves justice. And it, the gospel is about justice. Think about what happened for us wretched sinners to become God's children. The punishment you and I deserved. Jesus, the Father, the Son, so loved justice and are so holy that they couldn't just overlook sin. Our sin couldn't just be said, oh yeah, they're sinners, you know what, but we'll just, let's just, let's just forgive them and move on. No! A tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. Whatever it deserves, it has, that deed has to be punished. And our deeds were punished on the cross. 
They were punished on the cross. And Jesus took that punishment for us on the cross. That's how much He loved justice for us to be redeemed. He took the punishment we deserve. He's the perfect judge because He loves justice. He is a, he, that's what He says right there in verse 30. My judgment is just. <laughs> you know, I've I seen a, a quote from C.S. Lewis and because not only here, it's clear here, isn't it, that those who are evil at the resurrection will be judged, right? And we know the Bible teaches that. We don't skirt around that. It's just truth. It's true that even those outside of Christ one day will be raised from the grave when they hear the voice of God. They will have a body, and that body will be forever, the Bible says, Revelation 20, will be thrown in the lake of fire, which is in a place of eternal punishment, conscious Eternal punishment. Isn't it in verse, I, this is important. Jesus said to the man earlier in the chapter, in verse 14, he, afterwards Jesus found the temple and he said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This man was paralyzed, Pastor Chris, for how long? Jesus finds him and he says, Sir, don't sin anymore, lest something worse happen to you. Jesus is saying, There's something worse than being paralyzed for 38 years. Christians, if we loved our lost family members and friends, we would also tell them there's something worse than being miserable in this life. It's being miserable in the, all, the next, which is all eternity long, which is to endure the wrath of God for all eternity. Because that's what the Bible says those who are not Christians have awaiting them. We should tell them there's something worse than pain in this life. It's pain in the next. That's what Jesus warns that man of, and that's what we should warn people of. But there's, we too will be judged. You know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Christian, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As Christians, we will be judged. The Bible says, according to our works. You will be judged as a Christian. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He laid out things for you to do. You're His workmanship. He prepared beforehand things for every one of us as Christians to do. And you will be judged on how you did those things. You will be judged on that. And C.S. Lewis, the quote I was getting to, C.S. Lewis, this quote said, have you ever overheard a conversation or maybe a phone call you weren't supposed to get or a text message or email you weren't supposed to get that revealed how people really thought about you? You know, that you overheard somebody talking and you weren't supposed to overhear what they were saying, but they were saying about you. He says, you can really overlook what people say to your face. Like most of that's not true. <laughs> they just say that for niceties. You can kind of overlook that stuff. Most of that's not true. But when you overhear that conversation about you that you weren't supposed to hear, that's what people really think about you, right? He said, that's what judgment day will be, El, will be like. For, but it will be like that in spades. Because the reality, he knows all. He knows all and it will come to light, friend. Judgment. He is the perfect judge. So that makes us think, Christians, how is our love? Are we love more right now than we did last year? How's our joy? Is our joy increasing? Is our peace, our patience, our self-control, our faithfulness, our goodness, are those things increasing in our lives? Or are they decreasing in our lives? Friend, can I tell you that all that is directly related to our relationship with the Lord? You see, you, you don't just love more by saying, hey, I'm going to go start loving. Th I'm not just going to go have more joy. You, you can't say, I'm going to work on my patience. You can't say, hey, I'm going to go work on my self-control. No. All those things come from abiding in the Son. John 15, I'm the branch, you are the vine. He who abides in me produces much fruit. How's the fruit of the Spirit happen in your life and my life? Abiding with and in the Son. He is the judge. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who judges all. Those to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil. Friend, here's my last concern I want to give you with. I pray that some of us have become practical universalists. You know what universalist means? Universalists are people who believe. I've actually met those who have been in this very church who believe this. Not like as a member, but like people who, who have visited. And, and, and Anyhow, universalist means believe that everybody will be saved. It's Jehovah's Witness. They believe everybody will be saved in some way. Uh, there's a ton of people who think, yeah, you might die without Christ, but you get another chance at it when, after you die. The Bible's clear. After you die, then the judgment. There's a point in day for you to die, then the judgment. But friend, I fear some of us think when Jesus said, this is Jesus' words here. 
Jesus said one day everyone will come out of the tombs. Those who have done evil to judgment and those who have done good to judgment. Do you see? He said those who have done good. There's plenty of people who think that they're Christians, who profess to be Christians, but their life does not reflect it. Friends, we live in a time where we're told in the church, anybody who professes to be a Christian, you've got to say, okay, just because you say you're a Christian, we believe you're a Christian. That's nowhere in the Bible. There's plenty, actually, of the other in the Bible. People who profess to be Christian but don't possess true faith. You see, it, this isn't, Jesus isn't contradictory. You're not saved by good works. Jesus said, those who believe in the one who sent me, you're saved by faith alone. But that faith is never alone. Biblical faith always produces fruit in your life. And fruit in, in the, Christian, the fruit in your life, it, the fruit doesn't give a tree life, does it? No, the fruit reveals that the tree has life. And the judgment of Christ is based on truth. And it's based on deeds. So as you examine your own heart, and I examine mine, do I think that one day people, everybody will be saved? Well, if I don't believe that, is that revealed in the way that I attempt to share the gospel with the people I know who are lost? Or am I practically a universalist because I don't share the gospel with anybody? Because deep down, if I did, I would share it. Maybe I really believe everybody will just be saved one day. Or that hell's not real. Or that eternity isn't sweet and that life is not really in Jesus. What you really believe is lived out in your life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website, harvestbc.church. If you would like to contact us, please email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com or you can call us at 706-780-2211. If you are looking for a church home or visiting the North Georgia area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 9.30 in the Fellowship Hall for breakfast and Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m. for our Lord's Day worship service. We hope that you have a great week. God bless.